I would say parenthood has always been in my psyche and thoughts, even as a teenager. I've had ample time to reflect, you know, in the last kind of two years around the whole thing, you know, in terms of the decision that I've made. I would say it was always there. I would say, like, it was never not there. I first met Brian Kelly in 1996. I'm from Yall in East Cork. Brian's from Cullen in North Cork. That year, we both headed to Australia for a year of backpacking and adventure. Back then, I didn't know him and he didn't know me. We met through mutual friends within our first few weeks of arriving in Sydney. Almost 20 years later, I'm settled in Yall and Brian, after coming home for many years, has settled down under in Sydney. So um, at the moment we're just walking through Parramatta Park and the noise you hear in the background is actually the flying foxes, bats that are roosting um, here at night. They're giant bats about the size of cats, as you can see, and they feed off fruit and they come out at night. Um, but there's like an, a, a native colony here in Parramatta Park, which is kind of, you know, there are, there's only a few of them left here in Sydney. So this is like the park is right on our doorstep and, um, you know, it's like very much geared for family. You can like have your picnic here, have a barbecue here. We're just next to the Parramatta River and, you know, it's like very, very family orientated and beautiful park. My name is Kim Lanan. Since Brian and I met, we've become very close friends. Due to time differences, our friendship today largely takes place over late night or early morning phone calls and Skype calls. Once a year or so, we're lucky enough to meet in person, catch up on old times and create new times. Family and children are something we've always spoken about. It's, it's a, I would say it's a very, like, you know, the Australian culture is laid back. You know, we were actually talking about this at work the other day because someone made a comment and addressed um, a race of people a certain way. And there's an Irish guy that works with me, and we were saying like that, you know, if you did that at home, you know, it would be not cool, you know. It would be very much frowned upon, and, like, it's quite normal here. But, um, you know, I don't say that as a negative. It's just they're laid back. They're relaxed. It's the Australian culture. Um, you know, I'd say that probably we'd be a lot more politically correct at home in Ireland and the UK. Even their politics is a lot more laid back here as well. They get very personal with each other, you know, inside and um, when they're debating and stuff like that. So it's... You know, it's interesting. It's just the Australian, it's the Australian culture. During the year that Brian and I spent in Australia, we really got to know each other. Looking back now, it was a time when we were beginning to become adults. I think Brian was one of the first friends who I'd ever heard speaking about always wanting to become a dad. The choices Brian made to realise his dream will for some be seen as controversial 21st century parenting. For others, it's simply about a loving father and his daughter. Like I would say there's a fundamental need that's always been there, you know, to be a biological father and, you know, be involved in the nurturing and raising of a child or children. You know, it wasn't a case of seeing something else and saying, because I see that, I really want that. It's more from the inside out of me. It's something like the, like the thought of not having a child would just fill me with sadness. Even when I was 14 years old. Like, I can't go back further than that in it, but like, you know, if you asked me then 
if I believed I would have a child. If you ask me anyway, too, it was like, I'm not sure how this is going to happen, right? But in my heart of hearts, I fundamentally believe that a child or children are in my destiny. It wasn't a case of anything external driving this decision or anything. I was like, the only way I can describe it is there was something deeply internal, deeply internal that goes even back, I would say, it's in my DNA. Almost 10,900 miles from his hometown village of Cullen in North Cork, and at the age of 41, last year Brian finally achieved his dream of parenthood when his daughter Ever was born. Ever hasn't yet met all her Irish relations, but soon enough her dad will bring her back to his home place and she'll get to meet all the family. A very big family. I am the seventh of nine boys. I uh, grew up on a farm in like North Cork. So, um, you know, that's a working farm as well, so we all worked. And my mother's from New York, my dad is Irish. I grew up, though, where my mother's parents grew up, though, as well, you know. So even though she grew up in New York, two of my eldest brothers were born there. And my first six older brothers are one every year. There's a four-year gap to me, then there's a three-year gap, and then there's a five-year gap as well. So there's like 19 years between the eldest and the youngest. So it was good, like, you know, so it's, it's, it's a supporting household, like loads of boys, loads of testosterone. But I think, like, you know, some of the old ones were kind of moving up at the time. You know, I got up there into teenage years as well. And, um, you know, I suppose my mother and father are both very hardworking people, full-time parents at home all the time. Um, so, you know, but I would say, like, you know, we grew up feral as well. We were out in the countryside, you know, all day, every day. You're gone in the morning. You're working on the farm. You're helping out other people. You know, your friends are around. You know, the summers, like, spent, like, down in the river every day. And um, it was very free, very free, very you know, 1970s country upbringing as well, you know, all the neighbours helped each other out when you were doing something like even just time to make hay or, you know, so all of that stuff, like you helped each other out and a great community, great community spirit. But I suppose in terms of family holidays or going out into the world, I think I was 19 years old before I ever got on a plane or anything like that. Went to London for the weekend and, um, you know, obviously when I was like 23, 24, went away travelling and I suppose saw the world properly for the first time as well. Then from there, went back and went into the whole recruitment game and have worked in Cork, Dublin, London, Cork, Limerick and everywhere in between, you know, but like in the recruitment space until I moved here in early 2008. We're just walking towards Chinatown in the city centre and, and then heading down towards Darling Harbour. This is all the city centre of Sydney, but we're just coming up to the whole Chinese area at the moment we're going to walk through the districts, there's Paddy's Markets as well, walk over the tram lines we're near Central Station and we're just going to walk down to Darling Harbour which is kind of where I've lived you know, most of my time while I've been here in Australia this time and like 15 years ago when I lived here I was like living out on the beaches in the eastern suburbs I suppose ultimately I suppose this time when I came back it was for different reasons, you know, it was like to do with work and it was to do with um, you know, I, I suppose the change of life uh, style as well. Uh, before I was just a backpacker, running a backpacker hostel, travelling around Australia, no care in the world. Um, you know, it wasn't supposed to be a permanent move either this time, but I think with what's happened, you know, economy-wise back home and, you know, how well the economy is doing here, that was one factor in staying. And now that I have a child here, it's, uh, you know, in the decision to have her, it was, you know, it's in the decision to stay in Australia long term. Having said that, we're a bit flexible. We could potentially move as well, you know. Um, you know, we're not necessarily tied here, but I suppose even though, um, you know, Phoenix is Chinese, I'm Irish, our daughter's Australian. 
It's a little over three years since Brian met Phoenix, the mother of his daughter, ever. They initially met online and a couple of weeks later in person. Coming from very different backgrounds, their decision to have a child together was a big one. Um, she's um, 39 years old now, so she would have been 36 at the time. Um, has grown up in China. Um, she's the youngest of two daughters and her sister is, I think it's eight years older than her as well. Uh, unfortunately, her mother has passed away and her father is retired. Um, he's a communist army official and he he lives, you know, in China. And culturally, I think there's a lot of uniqueness about Phoenix's decision, way more than mine. Um, you know, because in China, you know, being a single mother, it can be quite restrictive. For example, a nice way to describe this was when Phoenix and I spoke about it. If you got a girl pregnant in China, even if you don't like her, you marry her. Right? Because the child has to have your name to get certain benefits, entitlements, including schooling, for example. And also as well, we talk about, I suppose, cultures and, you know, and all kinds of stuff. It really isn't acceptable for a woman to make decisions like that. In Western society, you know, I suppose it would be quite different for us. You know, we have expectations about equality and all of that. Mightn't have been there generations before us, but they're certainly there in the generation that we grew up in. So I think culturally we've had a very different upbringing in terms of that. Um, Phoenix is very well educated. She came to Australia to um, do some post-grad study and um, really liked it and went back to China and worked for a large corporation and then made a decision to move here full-time in 2008. So Phoenix had moved to Sydney in 2008, the same year Brian moved over from Ireland. As Brian would describe it himself, their decision to have a child together has a lot of uniqueness about it. Deciding to have a child of his own wasn't the first big decision Brian had made in his life. So I suppose like I came out to my mother in a conversation at home, I think on a Saturday, uh, just me and her, like in the sitting room. Uh, and I just sat her down and I just told her, look, this is exactly what's going on and I've met someone and this is who it is, you know. And um, I actually got quite upset. I got more upset than she did. I didn't know how it would go down, you know. I didn't know how it would go down, but I did know that I was in a relationship with this guy and I was really in love with him. I wanted to be honest about it. It was important for me, you know, that I was, you know, if I ever became a father, you know, I suppose, to do that as an openly gay man as well. You know, my mother said to me, like, you know, I don't necessarily understand, you know, but, like, I do support you. And, you know, she always has. You know, it's more socially acceptable now than it was 20 years ago than it was 30 years ago, you know. It's more socially acceptable, I would say, in Sydney than it is at home. And that would be including my decision to go out there and have a child as well. But lucky, very lucky as well. My family mightn't have un understood my sexuality, but they were very respectful of it. My ex-boyfriend was treated, I would say, no differently from any of my brother's girlfriends, by my parents or anyone else. Even though, you know, like I, for a lot of them, I was the first gay person that they'd met. I'm very lucky in that respect and very grateful for that as well, because not a lot of people that I knew had that experience. At this stage, you might be wondering how Brian and Phoenix decided on and were lucky enough to create their daughter ever. Well, it all began in late 2010 when Brian was doing some preliminary research online and stumbled across the website coparents.net. 
I didn't necessarily make a decision to have a child. I made a decision to find out about my options and make an informed decision. I ideally wanted to have a biological child. I wanted that child to have a both a mother and father that they completely were committed to, like nurturing and raising that child, even if they were not a couple. It was impossible, though. It seemed impossible, you know. But in an ideal world, that's what I wanted. And, you know, I was like, okay, what are my potential options here? Like, you know, adoption, you know, surrogacy, you know, this co-parenting thing. You know, what is this co-parenting thing? You know, I started to investigate all of these options. And I made a decision that I'd try and talk to people as well. Coming from rural Ireland and from 1970s Ireland, religion and faith were something that were part and parcel of Brian's family life. His belief in God is something that he has nurtured and grown with over the years. I'm born Catholic, grew up in the church, conflicted with the sexuality thing, you know, so a bit of friction there. I'm always happy to go to church. You know, I certainly get something out of it. I think in terms of growing up and promoting community and how people help each other as well. There's an Irish element in that, there's a Catholic element in that, if you know what I mean, like that I can really recognise, you know. I see how fantastic people have been to me in my life, you know, in terms of like, you know, when there are times when I struggled and to my family, you know, like, you know, for example, like one of my brothers died when he was 23 and, you know, how like the goodness in people as well. I see the church different to my spirituality now. I have a relationship with God that I maintain daily. It isn't necessarily the God of my church. You know, I think it's probably a God of the universe more than anything else. I had a moment, you know, and here's another defining moment, you know, in all of this journey, you know, being on the eve of my 40th birthday, being um, on, a, on a sailing boat in the Whitsunday Islands in the Great Barrier Reef with my brother and his wife and my, go- and my godson, you know, and Connor was nine at the time. And, you know, we'd spent the day sailing. You know, we were out in the middle of the ocean, with the Pacific Ocean, underneath all the stars. And then, you know, we were to bed down for the night, and it was so warm, we decided to sleep up on deck. And I was just lying there on deck, looking at this, like, fantastic myriad of stars in the sky, like, lying on my back, not necessarily comfortable, and I was, like, saying my prayers like I do most nights. I was having a chat with the universe, would be the best way to put it. I was obviously in a reflective mood. I was in a very grateful mood to be there with these people that I really cared about, you know, and I was having a kind of a deep, deep thought process of myself. And in that as well, like, I actually asked the universe for this child. You know, and I said, like, you know, again, like, if it's the right thing, if it's meant to be, please let it happen and, like, you know, let it be open to me. I don't know how long I was in that space looking at the stars that had. It could have been five minutes, it could have been 45 minutes. You know, but I said, you know, like, and at the end of it, like, I closed off and I said, amen. And as I said, a star shot across the sky. I was like, well, that's a major coincidence. Um, Ever's here, like, was here a year and a half later. There it is, coparents.net, right, okay. Now, I mean, it's a global website. I purely came across it from a research investigatory point of view. Remember, I suppose, that part of that investigation was that, you know, I would just, like, reach out 
to try and speak to other people. I mean, some people use it like to have like, you know, I suppose donors involved as well. So, I mean, when I came across this and when I decided to investigate a little bit, or I was purely from the point of view, a co-parenting situation ideally for me would look like this. You know, are there other people in that situation? How does it look for them? What's their experience been like? Are there any of those here in Australia? You know, can I talk to them? Can I meet them for a coffee? Never thinking for a second that I would meet someone through, through this channel that I would end up having a child with. A lot of people responded to me. I responded to a lot of other people. You know, I suppose, like, I wasn't necessarily interested in talking to people about sperm donation or anything like that. You know, like, it wasn't a case of, like, just wanting to have a child out there in the world. It was a case of, in my case, like, wanting to have a child, like, in my world. You know, and watching them, like, grow and, and, and raise them as well. Ultimately, my journey with this website was very short and very brief. Phoenix is the only person that I met off of because purely she was based in Sydney. I haven't been a member since. Um, nor is Phoenix. You know, we're too busy with the baby. You know, but I suppose that was the platform in terms of, like, putting it out there, in terms of, like, look, this is who I am and this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for more information. You know, can anyone help me? If you think that the concept of co-parenting is something that is used elsewhere and not here, then you'd be wrong. Currently, on coparents.net, there are 494 listed members from Ireland, all searching for new ways to become parents. Some looking for sperm donations, others for egg donations, others offering themselves as sperm donors or egg donors, others examining, just like Brian did, the possibilities of co-parenting relationships. There's the 28-year-old woman from Tipperary, whose public profile tells us, Hi, we're a young lesbian couple, and we're looking for a sperm donor to help us start our family. We've been together a long time. Or the Galway man, who says he works as a healthcare professional and would like to become a donor or co-parent, depending on the mother's preference. Or the Dublin woman, who posts that, Hi, I'm a 37-year-old single woman who would love to have a child before it's too late. I'm considering how to go about creating a stable and loving co-parenting situation, so would love to hear from like-minded and genuine straight or gay men who really want an active role in raising their child and with whom I could become great friends with. I am not interested in sperm donors. I am financially secure with a good job and close family and friends. Unfortunately, my relationships with boyfriends over the years have not worked out, but I would still love the chance to become a mother. So anyone interested, please let me know. The point is, Brian's not on his own here, and neither are all the people posting messages looking for help and support and for a new way forward in terms of creating families. The real point is that much of these conversations are hidden away in the online world and in the private worlds of these people. We rarely, if ever, hear these stories publicly. I'm not sure if that says more about people wanting to retain their privacy or their fear of society's reaction to their decision. I think co-parenting, really, the definition of it, it depends on the parents that are involved and how they want to raise a child. It's no different to a married couple. It's the same concept. It's two people deciding to have a child together and how that child should be raised, nurtured, and what they believe works in the best interest of that child in the situation as well. 
After their initial meeting, Brian and Phoenix continued to meet occasionally. During the following months, as they began to research the option of co-parenting, they started to become friends. You know, obviously we were getting to know each other as people as well. You know, we would say, like, we'd talk about aspects of co-parenting because we were, like, just both on fact-finding missions, really. We would discuss things, we'd research things, we'd come back to things as well. And then, you know, we knew each other for about a year and Phoenix asked me if I would co-parent with her. At that point, I wasn't sure. Didn't, like, I suppose, I suppose our conversations took a different tack because, like, okay, no, I was like, okay, well, okay, that's interesting kind of thing. You know, how would it look if we co-parented together and to research from that point of view or how we might go about it? You know, and I suppose I was open to the concept and just to see how it would feel and how it would look in terms of everything down the line as well. It just, our conversations changed direction then to potentially, you know, like, could we do this together if we were to do this together? I mean, like, you know, we need to get each other physically checked out, medically checked out. You know, what are our, what are all the options in terms of conception? You know, all of these things that were, they were the kind of discussions we started to have then as well, you know, and I suppose ultimately, you know, you might make a decision that yes, we'll try and co-parent together, you know, like, but like, you know, or conceive a child together, that may never happen. What conception options might you have to go down, you know, how long might this take, how many years might this take, you know, and all of this kind of thing. So like, there's a lot of discussions in there. There's an awful lot of research to be done as well. One of our areas of difference was around our expectations as to when we should try and have a child together as well and to talk and you know about that as well and how it would happen we went for medical tests to see if we could potentially if there was any barriers to us having a child you know or potentially conceiving a child and there weren't any and it was at that point i was like okay i need to get buy-in from my family at this point i'm not making this decision on my own and at that point really i started talking to people like as in close to me friends and family and like you know hey this is what i'm thinking what do you think and I think ultimately when when my mother said, yeah, I support your decision, my decision was made. Would I have gone ahead without my mother's blessing? Probably, I think. Did I suspect I'd get my mother's blessing? I did, you know, but I mean, was it important for me to like not come along three or four or five or six months later and say, hey, mom, you're going to be a grandma, you know? It was important for me to say, this is what I'm thinking, you know, like, do I have your support? And I did. I can still remember the phone call when Brian first told me that he was considering co-parenting. He said he wanted to discuss something with me and get my advice on it. My initial response was pretty emotional. I was so happy for him. I'd never heard about co-parenting, it just wasn't on my radar. But having had three children of my own and seen how patient and caring Brian was with them and his own many nieces and nephews, I knew that he had all the qualities needed to make a fantastic dad. He really wanted it, and now I wanted it for him too. The next question was, how? How are we going to do this? How, how are we physically going to conceive this child? What happens next? What avenues are we going to take? How far are we prepared to go here? You know, I suppose in terms of time, financially, to see if we could, you know, potentially conceive a child together and just talking very openly and honestly all along the way, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm afraid of, or this is what I'm nervous of, and stuff like that. All the time we're getting closer to each other as people and as friends. You know, we are still two single people, you know, um, who have our own lives, 
you know, we were friends at that point. We cared about each other, you know, and we respected each other. So, you know, I mean, like, and a lot of what we were talking about was theoretical. It changes fundamentally, you know, when things actually start to happen, though. But at that point, you know, like, there's a lot of discussion. And then, you know, I suppose there was a, some planning, you know. How's this plan going to look? What's expected of each of us in it, you know? What if this aspect of this, you know, like doesn't go according to plan? What's the plan B? Or, you know, is there a plan B? Where do we go with this, you know? Um, right down to the discussions, like, for example, you know, like if there was, you know, you know, there's a lot of ethical decisions or potential decisions to be made in there as well. If there was, like, any challenge with the pregnancy and stuff like that, if we, you know, I mean, um, how would you feel if this happened? What would you want in this situation? And all of those conversations as well, you know, and um, so it's a lot of discussion, a lot of thought. I remember thinking, and still do, how much thought went into Ever before she was even born. Every minute detail was worked through until an agreement was finally reached. I think your average couple will never think as in-depth as this, probably because they don't have to. Everything from religion, to schooling, to finance, to holidays, to healthcare, to visiting relations abroad... All that and more had to be worked out and agreed between Brian and Phoenix before they had even created an embryo, let alone a baby. In terms of a final agreement, you know, like that's ongoing. You know, it depends on the situation. You can't really have it because you never know what the pregnancy is going to be like, you know, what the needs of your child are. At a very surface level, you know, how we both contribute financially, how we both contribute emotionally, how we both contribute in terms of time and presence and where we physically live, you know, um, what if, for example, one of us was to meet a partner? How was that person introduced? You know, how is th- another par- person introduced to our child? What are the time frames there? What's best for that as well? You know, we're trying to be sensible about it. What if our relationship broke down? A lot of relationships do. What's in the best interest of ever then in terms of, you know, so we're covering all that off as well if, in case we ever fell out with each other as well. This is the minimum that has to happen on both sides. You know what I mean? So everything is discussed until, you know, I suppose that ever was born, really things finalised in. But we had a very big blueprint before she was even conceived that isn't a million miles away right now from what the, the actuality of the final agreement. It's not a legal document at this point, um, um, but it can make the framework for a legal document moving forward and be used accordingly in the children's court. I think in relation to Ever's conception, Phoenix assumed that they would be done in some level artificially. And I hadn't really thought a lot about it. It's funny the decisions that you make when you're in a situation where I suppose it's going from concept into reality. When I thought about the conception, I thought, this may never work. It may work, you know, but I thought about it from the point of view from, like, someday, you know, this child theoretically is going to sit down with me and say when it's age appropriate, hey, Dad, you're gay. Mom is straight. How was I conceived? And, you know, when I spoke to Phoenix about that, I was like, Phoenix, I think, you know, like, the way I feel right now is that I'd like it to be an act of love, if at all possible. So if ever was conceived naturally. And she was conceived the first attempt. Um, we used an ovulation kit. It was kind of funny, to be honest. I know nothing about these things, you know, and um, so it was planned. Like, I knew when this was going to happen. 
there was a particular day it was expected to happen and you should like everything should happen at a certain time I got an SOS call two days beforehand to say ovulation was happening early and you know so in the end like which was probably a good thing do you know what I mean um, and you know I suppose you know we'd made a decision that like you know like that we would try and do what the ovulation and the doctor suggested and um, we did we were both very nervous about that obviously we'd made a decision that if that didn't work that month we would keep going as well if we were able to as well which there were plan there was a plan B and a plan C and a plan D if we needed them as well After about eight days, an early pregnancy test seemed positive. That was followed up by further confirmation a few weeks later. Then there were the usual scans and all looked great. This was no longer about chats and thoughts and agreements. Everything had become real. These two people, who were not in love with each other, had come together to create someone that they would both love forever she I, I I would say Phoenix is a lot more practical than I would be and I would be a little bit more emotional do you know what I mean like so I would say yeah you know I mean like ultimately like you know the you know I, but I think we're both practical about what needs to happen and what doesn't need to happen as well also both very grateful do you know what I mean like you know because like our story and our journey could have been so much different there's a practicality to what has to happen when you're pregnant and like things need to be done and like got and you know I mean like the pregnancy was quite difficult but like you know Phoenix had to wear that you know I didn't there were times obviously in there as well when it was you know we needed space as well like any other couple I would imagine you know or any other people like in that situation it's had difficult moments of course and but like it's a life-changing experience when Phoenix was six months pregnant Brian suggested that with impending parenthood, it would be a good idea to approach their local family relationship centre for some ongoing support and advice. On May the 21st, 2012, Brian drove Phoenix to their local hospital. Ever Elizabeth Jade Kelly was finally on her way. What we didn't realise, and what the midwife didn't, because she was popping in and out, was that labour was going and going, if it just going really fast um, because um, next thing all of a sudden like what happened or later the midwife came in and she was like they'd prepped for the beginning of the epidural and um, then she was she just made this comment comment she goes oh they better hurry up on that epidural and I was like ha 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 that's very funny and she was like no I'm serious and she was like I was like what and she goes this baby's not going to wait and like literally bar over the bed and push so we were five centimetres dilated at half past three. Ever was born at a quarter to five. So like literally, bar up. I was holding my hand behind Phoenix's head. I was holding one of her legs and just us and the midwife and like basically like, you know, an amazing experience, you know, and um, you could see, I could see Ever crowning, you know, could see her like black hair, you know, uh, and like it was just like, you know, kind of was, you know, all of a sudden like there she was and you know, and I suppose from my perspective, you know, like that, like you hear people talk about that rush of love that they get, you know, and I suppose like, you know, like it's not that I didn't get that, but my overwhelming sense when I held ever for the first time was that I knew her. It was like a reconnection. It wasn't like a new connection. It was like a reconnection. And like I would say she settled on me that way. 
And it was very powerful. It was very powerful, that sense that I had of her. You know, like, it's like, I know you from somewhere before. Um, and that was the overriding sense that I had. <clears throat> you know, like, um, you know, when she was like six pound, 15 ounces, she was two days overdue. But ever was very hearty, you know, very hale and hearty. You know, she's got, she, she has my long legs, for example. She has my eyelashes, you know. Um, she, um, you know, she, she, she reminds me of like, this certain things she does, she reminds me of my mother, if you know what I mean. Um, and like any child in any relationship, she looks like you on one side and she looks like you on the other and stuff like that. Um, so like she was born at like a quarter to five. Um, you know, she had you know, fed by six o'clock. And, you know, at about 8.30, we moved upstairs to the maternity ward. And um, it was just us against the world after that. Just over a week after Ever was born, she went home with her mum and dad. As agreed, Brian had already moved in with Phoenix before the birth. Now he had four months off work to stay at home and care for Ever. He's currently back at work and back in his own apartment. The relationships in this new family all centre around Ever. The agreement that Brian and Phoenix drew up together in terms of a parenting contract it's not set in stone. They revisit that agreement regularly and revise aspects of it depending on Ever's needs and their own expectations. Legally, Brian and Phoenix share equal custody and guardianship of Ever. When Ever is fully weaned, Brian will then be able to take her overnight. Each month, Brian, Phoenix and Ever meet with their early childhood consultant to assess how Ever is developing and to see what, if any, improvements could be made in her life and to Phoenix and Brian's parenting skills. They have also appointed a third-party family liaison officer who looks at things solely from Ever's point of view to ensure that should any disagreements arise, Ever's best interests are always to the fore. This is all part of the ongoing agreement that's in place to ensure that this family works as well as it possibly can. On Sundays, Brian takes Ever to Mass in his local church. Cute as a button and quiet. Very quiet, aren't you, Pet? So she's like, kind of tired. Is that okay, Pet? Hello. Hello. So when I'm back last night, she was asleep. She woke at half three. Well, we were up at half three this morning. During the night, we just like do what we have to do and straight back down. There's no missing. There isn't. There's no missing. There's no missing at all. Go. Yeah, she's a very quiet, inquisitive. She's been that way since she was born, you know? Um, she just takes it all in. My brother Denny's son, Connor, is exactly the same. She takes it all in. There's no major fuss. There's no drama with her at all. Walking is a big thing for me with her. You know, we'll go away for two more walks. Like, I was off for the first four months, so, like, we do that every day, you know? She loves being in the pouch as well, and the baby pouch. Um, so we just offer store. We've been today. We like we, she, we we take her to church most Sunday. I mean, both her mom and I are Christian, um, but we have separate churches and we practice our religions. And um, but she will define her own religion, which is what we agreed up front. She's normally pretty good, you know. 
Um, there hasn't been too many disasters out in public yet. Everyone tells us that will change. The tricks that used to work before, just like keep her mobile, she'll definitely sleep. Doesn't necessarily work anymore. And it's great spending time with her. Love, love it, absolutely great spending time with her. It's the highlight of the day, sure. Um, you know, when I work during the day now, I'm gone all day, so, you know, and, you know, when you come back in the evening, you know, she's, she's kind of tired as well, or she could even already be asleep, it depends on the day. <laughs> she's daddy's girl. You my baby girl? You my baby girl? Are you my baby girl? If she kicks up a ruckus in the church, we'll just have to exit, because, like, this will, this will help her go to sleep, you know, just, if there's the point she's overtired. there's something going to happen in a while that you absolutely love and it's music she loves listening to music so the choir will be fantastic won't it won't it is that right is that you're going to talk to us you're going to talk to us are you can you tell me a story yeah tell me a story who's my baby girl Brian's decision to have ever brings to the surface the bigger questions of life. Having to contemplate a child in such detail before she's even born inevitably makes you question everything about your own identity, your own personality, your upbringing, your parents, your family, and how your new family will grow. Both Brian and Phoenix have successfully made it through this journey. What the future holds, no one knows. But whenever grows up and finds out about her story, she'll know how much she was wanted. Thinking about becoming a parent is so different to the actuality of it. You know, and I suppose like that um, any parent in my parents' generation as well, like they were completely committed to their family separated family wasn't really an option or anything like that you do reflect on that an awful lot more I think more so when you know when Phoenix was pregnant you know you think about these things and you think about the father you want to be or the father that you may be going to be as well my parents were constant they were hard working they were always there they were available and I appreciate and respect that an awful lot more now than I would have when I was a teenager you know or a young adult maybe as well it changes every perspective really you know, we're in our late 30s, early 40s. You know, we've no family around. And, you know, what about if anything happened to us moving forward as well? You know, where would that leave ever? In an ideal world, I suppose, like, ultimately, like, we'd be closer to family, definitely. You know, and we felt that in the last few months as well. Like, I have no regrets about my decision. It's so different now, you know what I mean? It's The world is so different now. Everything is so different. You know, I would say, like, you know, that knowing what I know now, that I had a deep fundamental need to have a child that I've always had that you know and I'm glad that you know I've had the opportunity to meet that need as well and I'm glad to have the opportunity to have this you know amazingly unbelievable special person in my life you know like I just I feel very humbled by it very humbled by it you know um, it's a very deep thing you know I mean extremely special and I would say to people you know I suppose like you know if you're making an informed decision to have a child and you understand like you know what's involved there as well you know that's such a positive thing for you. 
without reservation. Like, thank God I had the balls to do it. Without reservation, thank God I didn't, you know, that I didn't limit myself or stop myself from having this, you know, child. And I'm certainly open to having more children as well. The journey has been incredibly spiritual for me. It's been incredibly spiritual. The decision that Phoenix and I have made is the best decision that she and I could have made. Everyone has the right to live their life the way they choose as long as they are not hurting other people. If people disagree with the way that I've chosen to become a father or a parent, I wouldn't take it on board, to be honest. Not at all. You know, we've done something that's very open and very honest with each other as well. And in that there's, you know, a life has been created and she's surrounded by love, you know, and she's cared for and she's nurtured and she's like the light of our lives. And we have created our family, you know, and we've planned for that family and we've not just for like now, but for down the line as well, you know, and we're both committed to that as well, you know. So I think, you know, um, if other people see that as something that, you know, doesn't suit them, like that's a reflection on them, really, and not us in our situation. One, two, three, back. One, two, three, back. Who's my baby girl? Who's my baby girl? Who's my baby girl?